Hi, everyone. It's Carol, and welcome to Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next in every episode. I'm here to help all kinds of retail-focused companies cut through all the noise through interviews with industry experts and by tracking my latest retail trajectories. These are themes I'm constantly creating, connecting, and mapping across categories, borders, business models, and touch points so you can do something about it. It's been a newsy couple of weeks, to say the least. I weighed in on all kinds of buzzy stories recently, so I thought it'd be fun to run through the hot topics that have tripped my wires and clap back on some of the clickbait. So let's get to it. First of all, retail returns, those inevitable painful profit killers that also are a real headache for shoppers. But what's changed is retailers are no longer just burying their heads in the sand and hoping it'll magically go away. I recently spoke with Yahoo Finance and The Street about two schemes that might just finally make the math work out, but not in the way you might think. First of all, there's a lot of buzz around Amazon charging $1.50 for UPS returns. But when you check out the fine print, the fee only applies when a Kohl's or a Whole Foods store is closer than a UPS location. The common take on this one has been that Amazon's signaling a spiral of punitive return fees and a consumer revolt is just around the corner. Not so fast. First of all, in the returns game, there are two things a buck and a half isn't. It's definitely not enough to make a dent in the true cost of most returns, especially when it's applied selectively as a spot treatment, which is what Amazon's doing. It's also not enough to enrage consumers and have them pole vaulting off Amazon's platform. No way that's going to happen. It's a way to gently steer shoppers to Amazon's partners and its owned assets. Now, Kohl's has seen its share of struggles, but it consistently cites its partnership with Amazon as a high note. As shoppers head to Kohl's stores to drop off Amazon returns, they're doing just what Kohl's and Amazon hoped they would, hitting the sales floor. And by the way, in a couple of the coal stores I've visited, those Amazon return areas are an absolute mess. Stuff was just piled up on the floor behind the customer service desk. But hey, maybe they've got a handle on it or at least enough to keep the program going. Uh, Maybe they clean it all up at the end of the day. Either way, this nominal fee isn't about slapping shoppers on the wrist. In fact, I bet Amazon's hoping it's not perceived that way. To borrow from one of my top trajectories, It's yet another way that retailers are suddenly shaping consumer behavior, not just reacting to it. So this one is all carrot and no stick. Target's got its own returns game going. They're cranking up curbside returns. On the surface, this feels downright charitable. Sending store associates out to greet folks right in their cars, then giving them money back? But it's actually an extension of Target's drive-up same-day pickup So Target's working two angles here. First of all, tying returns into Click and Collect should prompt plenty of Target shoppers to pick up an order while they're unloading that unloved merchandise. And from a consumer perspective, you can either look at a return as money that goes back in the bank or money that you've already spent. When it's the latter, a gift card dynamic kicks in, where the temptation to buy something with the same or higher value takes over. So hopefully Target's making all of this really easy to do. I haven't tried to do a return with Target since they started the program, but either way, I bet they'll continue to raise the bar when it comes to integrating returns and purchases. Curbside returns also get shoppers just close enough to Target's front door that plenty of folks will just hop out of the car and go on in. Target's kind of irresistible that way, and they know it. 
So overall, I would say well-played target, well-played. Then there's the issue of so-called free shipping supplied through membership programs like Amazon Prime and Walmart Plus. Of course, there are no free lunches and retail's no exception. Let's get that out of the way. But Retail Wire raised the question of whether more retailers should jump into the membership-based shipping perks business. The answer that I give, like a lot of things in retail, is it depends. This one topic, though, exemplifies two of my fundamental trajectories. First off, platform power. The fact that big retailers are no longer just places that sell stuff, they're platforms that encompass services, entertainment, content, data, advertising, and so much more. The second trajectory is diversify or die, because all that platform power is driven by diversification. Diversification into new business models, new categories, new formats, and so on. So free shipping isn't just about a literal calculation of the actual cost of getting products to consumers. It's a gateway to retailers' platforms. Free shipping might lead to a shopper placing an order for pickup next time. They might buy something from a marketplace seller. Sign up for telehealth. So shipping perks tied into membership programs end up making a lot more sense the more diversified a particular retailer is. That's actually the entire point. And that's why narrow-focus brick-and-mortar operators and category killers will have a much harder time making the numbers work. Another buzzy story is Walmart's winnowing its presence in the Windy City. I talked to multiple media outlets about this, and here again, the reality is a lot less dramatic than the headlines. Walmart's not completely throwing in the towel. They're closing four out of eight stores. And let's not forget that Walmart is a highly diverse, multi-format operator. So they can still service Chicago land through e-commerce. Those remaining stores might be just enough to keep that proposition going through click and collect and home delivery. But the real story here is the role that retail crime might be playing in the equation. Walmart's openly acknowledged the bite that crime is taking out of its business and its intention to do something about it. Walmart rarely makes empty promises, and the Chicago Paradown is likely one of the actions it's taking to hedge against the acceleration of crime sprees in retail. But Chicago also happens to be a political football. Whenever some factions need to create noise or throw up smoke, Chicago invariably gets trotted out as being a crime-infested mess. So Walmart was smart not to call out crime in Chicago in the same sentence. They didn't need to justify the decision or get down in the weeds, so they didn't. We'll see if Walmart quietly, or not so quietly, exits out of Chicago like it did in Portland just last month. But this one is definitely one to watch. I spoke with the Seattle Times and Minneapolis Star Tribune about Bed Bath & Beyond's ongoing travails. And as predicted, it just declared bankruptcy last weekend. Bed Bath & Beyond continued its mighty fight to the end and with plenty of distractions tugging away all along the way, including Mark Tritton's just-announced compensation lawsuit. He was the former Target exec and Bed Bath & Beyond CEO who was unceremoniously ousted in mid-2022. But he's not going quietly. And in the meantime, Bed Bath & Beyond was having a really hard time getting merchandise. When retailers struggle, suppliers slow down or shut down shipments. Bed Bath & Beyond's last Hail Mary pass was designed to be sort of a band-aid for that, implementing a consignment plan that would help them get more inventory. But the common buzz on Bed Bath & Beyond is that it's had a weak online proposition and just wasn't keeping up with the times. 
But here's the inconvenient truth. Even though Bed Bath & Beyond toyed with category expansion over the years, everything from gourmet foods to health and beauty, those beyond pieces of the business were always on the sidelines. Bed Bath & Beyond, at its heart, is and always has been a home goods category killer. And that's the problem. Category killing was a great model many moons ago, until it wasn't. Walmart was the first one to drive a big nail in it, attacking category after category with relentless price reductions and efficiencies. Then came Amazon doing what it does best by putting all that on steroids. And higher margin home goods have been in other retailers' sites, including Target, dollar stores, and even grocery retailers like Kroger and HEB. HEB's been carving out room for home departments and its stores that are filled with private brands for a nice double dip of margin. But these retailers, to different degrees, they have the data to price these goods in a way that can literally kill the category for more narrow-focused retailers like Bed Bath & Beyond. And more of Bed Bath & Beyond's competitors have also piled on private brands to hit a home run in home. It's a profit-driven category that's proven to be resilient, so the competition is fierce. But along with the category killing, I would put brand decisions as a close second for why Bed Bath & Beyond's downfall was practically inevitable. I've talked about the difference between a retailer that has brands and a retailer that is a brand. Bed Bath & Beyond has been stuck between a rock and a hard place here. Private brand development was the cornerstone of Mark Tritton's strategy. Bed Bath & Beyond churned out its new brands really quickly. But the new portfolio was still months and months in the making, and in the meantime, headwinds had reached hurricane force, including supply chain snags that would sabotage its best-laid private brand plans. So the timing couldn't have been worse for attempting to be a brand. After Tritton headed out the door, though, Bed Bath & Beyond swung back to a national brand strategy. In other words, Bed Bath & Beyond was once again becoming a place that has brands, the same brands everyone else has but with a dwindling ability to pay its suppliers. More terrible timing. So Bed Bath & Beyond creating yet more brands in a highly competitive category or attempting to woo major brands just wasn't going to fix its fundamental problem. And by the way, it's a problem that it has in common with two other retailers that have declared bankruptcy this year, David's Bridal and Party City. Category killing and a lack of diversification are deadly. As for what's next, as I told Retail Wire this week, even though a slew of pure brand marketing companies that used to dot the landscape have left the scene, WHP could be a real contender. WHP is the company that just acquired Bonobos from Walmart, which I'll talk about in a minute. This signals an all-systems-go acquisition phase after WHP bought all of the RS assets. Now, Bye Bye Baby is part of Bed Bath & Beyond's portfolio, and Toys R Us and Babies R Us would be a really nice synergistic pairing. Bed Bath & Beyond would also be a nice category expansion play for WHP that would diversify its holdings and give it a foothold in the home category. So WHP would offer a really compelling opportunity to gobble up Bed Bath & Beyond whole rather than it being sold off for parts. Speaking of diversify or die, brand portfolios and Bonobos in particular, Walmart went on a buying spree a few years ago, snatching up digital forward niche brands like Bonobos, ModCloth, Eloquy, and Moose Jaw, all of which it has recently sold off. And in every single case, the headlines were all pouring in saying, what went wrong? 
I weighed in in Retail Wire, and I spoke with the Democrat Gazette in Walmart's backyard about why Walmart's divestiture of a handful of D2C brands isn't about failure. It's about focus. Walmart's product-based businesses will play a decreasing role going forward, including those that were brought into the fold from outside. A new world of opportunity beckons for Walmart, much of it tied to its growing solutions and services portfolio. One of my hottest trajectories is the solutions and services shift, and Walmart is the poster child for it. Walmart's non-product businesses are also highly profitable and scalable, so shifting the focus there and eliminating distractions makes all kinds of sense. I'm sure Walmart learned a lot from the user bases and the talent that came with these buzzy brand deals, but not everything's meant to last forever. I'll say it again, focus, not failure. We'll keep peeling the onions as more stories hit the headlines. But in the meantime, I've got some awesome interviews coming up with leaders who are in the center of all the action. If you like what you're hearing, please do like, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about my retail B2B coaching, speaking, and workshops at speakermanretail.com. And you can get my latest updates on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Retail Expert, X-P-E-R-T. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.